You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm going solo, and I'm going to share with you today why I quit drinking alcohol and why I think alcohol is a poison. Well, I don't actually think it. I know it. I'm going to break this down for you today, and I'm going to try to keep it succinct. This is not a judgment on anyone. I honestly don't care what anyone decides to do with their own health, as long as it does not impact me negatively. Although I do think the uh, problem with alcoholism in this country and in the world has really ramped up. What spurred this on for me initially was back in January, I decided that things were really heating up and becoming challenging in the world. And I did not need to be hungover or dulled in any way, shape or form as tyranny set over the world. Um, I don't think we've seen the most challenging parts of this pandemic yet. And I don't think it has anything to do with the pandemic or the virus. I just think the way the world's going that we are walking into some challenging times. And so I wanted to have all my lights on as completely as possible. And I knew this information I'm about to share with you long before I ever decided to stop drinking. But I haven't made a big thing out of it because you know, I would slide back into my drinking and my drinking was never heavy. I'm not someone who can drink heavily. My mother always used to joke that my mom doesn't drink. And she used to joke that any more than two drinks and she'd be vomiting. I didn't believe her. And then one day I turned 25 and the hangover started, even from the smallest amount of alcohol. That has something to do with my genetic propensity for detox, which is not something I'm going to get into here, but I don't detox awesomely. And it really was showing itself. As I approached middle age, it was really showing itself. And I, I, I kind of chuckle because I got to eat crow here. When I was in clinical practice, I would have middle-aged women come in and we were trying to balance their hormones and do all the things. And they would say to me, you know, I cannot drink red wine anymore. It just destroys me the next day. And I would kind of laugh under my breath like, oh, you poor woman, <laughs> whilst drink, you know, enjoying my red wine at nights. Um, that happened to me eventually, and it sucked. And so I had to give up red wine. And so I switched to Pinot Noir. I live in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, which is Pinot country. And we literally live down the street from an amazing winery called Coelho's. And they're friends of ours. And I absolutely adore them. I adore their wines. I I think they make the finest wine in the valley. And I, of course, became became a Pinot queen. You know, I love the Pinots. They're lighter. They go down like Kool-Aid. It goes down easier. Well, soon enough, that was also not serving me well. So even a glass or two was making me very sick. I recently shared out on Instagram my journey of this. It's been just over 90 days now, alcohol-free, and I've been sharing sort of monthly updates and getting a lot of pushback from people, which, of course, you know, people will defend their vices and their addictions at all costs. But more importantly, a lot of people accusing me of, well, you must have been a heavy drinker for you to have reaped all these benefits. And the truth is I wasn't. And my husband jokes because he's seen me go vomit after two drinks, you know, more than two drinks and I'm done. And I literally, it's like someone pushed a button and I purge. So he, he, you know, he laughed at these comments because he's like, if they only knew how poorly you handle alcohol, (laughs) they would not be accusing you of this. And I think people assume that for me to have such impactful benefits that I must have been consuming a lot and therefore have quit a lot. Um, that's entirely untrue. I'll get into that in the podcast in a few minutes. But what got me was 
last week or so, an article came out in JAMA, and it was really, really concerning. And I'm going to share some of the, the statistics with you. It's on my Substack. I've recently launched a Substack, which is a blog, and I hope you guys will all go subscribe. You can subscribe for free. I am releasing steadily my entire email archive from the pandemic, which is beefy. All of the emails that I have shared out with the public, as well as the emails I've shared out with my private membership group will be inside my Substack. Some of it will be behind a paid subscription, a low cost paid subscription wall. I would love if you could come support my work and join as a, as a paid subscriber. Um, it's a really smoking deal. It's basically what a one cup of, you know, one latte would cost you a month. For the cost of one latte a month, you can get some really, really, really uh, in-depth, well-referenced, meaning I've linked all the studies to these emails. But I wrote a blog post. My first blog post on Substack was pretty telling. So I want to share something. Um, 2020 COVID deaths by age, and this is from the CDC's website, their MMWR Morbidity and Mortality Weekly update that they share. And this was for 2020. Um, Just so you know, and this is off topic, but those under one year old, there were 43 deaths total for the entire year. Those one to four years old, uh, there were 24 deaths. So I have no idea why we are mass vaccinating children. Uh, They really have very little to no risk of dying from COVID. Those 5 to 14 years old had, uh, there were 67 deaths total. So, I mean, we're rounding out at like, what, 150 deaths roughly. Those 14 and under in the United States, we lost about 150 children. Sansa, my dog's making noise. She likes to lick the ground (laughs) or lick her bed or lick something when she gets bored. Here's where numbers are interesting. 15 to 24-year-olds, 25 to 34-year-olds, 35 to 44-year-olds, and 45 to 54-year-olds. Of course, the numbers go up from there, and you can see all of this inside my Substack. I'll link it in the show notes. But then JAMA released a study uh, on March 18th of 2022, which was just a few weeks ago. And the findings were grim. The number of people who died from alcohol-related deaths in 2020, the group of 16 to 24-year-olds, there were 2.4 times more children or young people, 16 to 24 years old, 2.4 times more died than of COVID. They died from alcohol-related deaths. In the 25 to 34-years group, Three over three times the amount of people in the US died from alcohol related deaths than of COVID. And in the 35 to 44 year old group, there was a two times the amount of people died from alcohol related deaths than of COVID. In the 45 to 54 years old, that's where it sort of was, it was 1.1, it was on par with COVID. And then in the older group, 55 to 64, COVID deaths surpassed. So basically, anybody. 45 and younger, 44 and younger, um, had about a two and a half times, if you average that out, had about a two and a half times rate of death from alcohol related deaths than from COVID. But we're not addressing alcoholism in this country. So that was really compelling. And that comboed with my awesome um, health benefits that I have reaped from quitting really made me decide to do this episode. 
the relative change in alcohol-related deaths from 2019 to 2020, just the amount that the, the percentage of increased deaths from alcoholism or from alcohol-related deaths, I should say, not alcoholism, but alcohol-related deaths in from 2019 to 2020 increased by 40% in the age range of 35 to 44-year-olds. It increased by 37% in the 25 to 34-year-olds. It increased by... 26% in the 21 to 24 year olds. And it increased by 30% in the 16 to 20 year olds. So the rate of death from alcohol related causes increased from anywhere from 26% to 40% in all age ranges, basically up to 44 years old. That's horrific. So you tell me, did lockdowns work out? right? Did, did this plan work? Because we can look at COVID-related deaths all day. And you know, COVID deaths, again, are with COVID, not necessarily of COVID. So those, those amounts are skewed anyway. We don't actually have accurate numbers on any of that. All right. So let's talk about alcohol specifically. I stopped drinking over 90 days ago. I'm definitely not going back. I stopped for a lot of reasons. Basically, uh, num numero uno was it wasn't serving me well. My friend, Dr. Carolyn Stone, she was on the podcast last week, and she said to me one night over dinner, alcohol doesn't serve. I said, why don't you drink? And she said, alcohol doesn't serve me well. And I was like, huh. And that was really compelling for me. Again, mind you, I was not drinking much. I was consistent, though, and alcohol is a known poison. So I was slow dripping poison into my vein. And when people say, well, is one to two drinks okay? I don't know. Is one to two drops of cyanide okay? You be the judge. It's up to you, right? This is all up to you. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm not giving anyone medical advice. If you want to quit drinking, that's on you, and you can decide. But I'm giving you information that might help you make that decision. Um, I quit, and I'm, I'm glad that I did. It's it, poisons your thyroid straight up. And I just didn't need any more of that. It poisons your mitochondria. It poisons your brain. I, and as we age, you know, my brain, my mitochondria, and my thyroid are all struggling as is, just, and my hormones just from being a middle-aged woman. I did not need to add fuel to that fire. I was also waking up really crunchy and uninspired every morning, just, just feeling yucky. Even if I just had one glass or even half a glass, I would wake up just sort of crunchy. I can't describe it, but it was the opposite of waking up happy and popping out of bed. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And I didn't realize how... Um, I didn't realize how much it was there until it went away, until I got rid of it, right? And so it's hard to say if these, you know, quitting alcohol will benefit you in the same ways. Of course, I mean, we're all individuals. But for me, I didn't realize how crunchy and sort of unmotivated and grumpy I was waking up for so long until I ameliorated the issue. So that's been really helpful. Um and again, I do believe things are going to become more challenging in the world, and we've only seen the tip of the iceberg, and I can't be having tyranny take over the planet while my brain is numbed out. I can't do that. It's not on my watch. And so I really decided that all my cylinders need to be firing, so I needed to get all aspects of my health in order. I think the reason I had such profound improvements in so many areas, which I'll talk about as we go along, is because... I already have most of my health house dialed in, right? Like I'm already lifting two to three times a week. I go for walks almost every single day. I try to sweat almost every single day. I eat really well. I rarely have refined sugar or refined carbohydrates in my in my mouth ever. It makes those make me feel like shit too. Those make me feel just as shitty as alcohol does, to be honest. Um, 
And as you get older, you just your tolerance for this stuff diminishes. So you might be 25 listening to this thinking, well, that stuff doesn't impact me, Dr. Tina. Okay. Well, wait till you're 48. <laughs> Tell me how you feel. Like something happens around 45 and you just cannot tolerate the things you used to tolerate well. And so carbohydrates, refined carbohydrates, I'm talking gluten-free like cookies and stuff like that. I mean, that stuff is so highly refined to make it powdery and fluffy and yummy tasting and it's full of sugar. It's just, it, there's nothing about it that was serving me. So I already don't eat all that. Um, I already am very, very careful about my relationships with people. I do not keep toxic people around me, nor do I entertain chaotic, toxic people, uh, not even for a millisecond. I will not work with them. I will not employ them. I will not do business with them, uh, not for any reason. If somebody is too scattered, I can't do it. And you know, truthfully, drinking alcohol was making me scattered. This It was this middle-aged brain. And then I got COVID at the end of November. So then I had COVID brain on top of middle-aged brain. And it was making me really, really scattered. And I was becoming um, not as reliable to people. I couldn't seem to get my schedule in check, right? And so that was another reason for cutting out the things that were not serving me, i.e. alcohol. And that's, it's made a tremendous effort. My motivation has skyrocketed. My ability to get tasks done in the day has skyrocketed. I'm getting more done right now than ever before. And I think the I'm past the 90-day mark. I'll tell you this, from clinical practice, you really don't see metabolic changes occur on labs for about 90 days. So the person may change their diet, lifestyle, exercise, all the good things, all the things as I call it, sleep, you know, horizon gazing, all the things, meditation, um, getting rid of toxic relationships, and they will feel better in 30 days. And then they'll feel even better in 60 days, and they'll feel even better in 90 days. And then it's just kind of the sky's the limit, right? Well, that's because their mitochondria is recovering, their organs are recovering, their endocrine system, their hormonal system is recovering, their gut is healing. Alcohol really, and poor, you know, poor food choices really do a number on the gut, and a leaky inflamed gut isn't going to absorb much. And so nutrition starts to absorb, right? The nutrients that you're eating actually start to absorb into your system, which makes people feel a whole lot better. So on and on it goes. And I'm hitting that 90-day sort of bliss point where I am just feeling much, much better overall. My sleep, oh man, my sleep was getting destroyed from alcohol. I track my sleep with uh, an aura ring. I am not promoting the aura ring and there's parts of the aura ring I do not like. So uh, I'm not going to do any episodes on it or answer any questions about it. I use it strictly to track my sleep and to track my heart rate variability. I've tried all the gizmos, and this one's just the easiest for me and the least disruptive. I don't like wearing a wristband while I sleep to track my sleep. So um, the aura ring it is, and I just use it to make sure I get in enough steps during the day and to make sure what my sleep is doing. And I'll tell you, my deep sleep has improved significantly through cutting out alcohol, which is huge. Deep sleep is so important. I'm going to do a whole episode on sleep. I'm trying to get a sleep expert on for you guys. And we'll talk about what deep sleep really is all about. But trust me, it's critical for all aspects of your immune system, your hormones, your brain health, everything. And processing trauma, I believe, um, th these things happen in the deep sleep. And it's been really, really, really helpful for me there. And that's been awesome to see that objectively through the aura ring. Um, like I said, my gut needed to heal. My soul needed to heal. I think I had been dulling down what was going on in my life. And my life is great. I have 
a great family. I have great relationships with people. I have great friendships. I have great business relationships. My career is solid and successful. I mean, I have a great, great life right now. It wasn't always the case, (laughs) but I just, there were aspects to my past and to my life that I was numbing with alcohol. And my soul really needed to be freed from that cage so that it could look at everything. And I thought by freeing it, it would be terrifying. But in fact, it's been the best thing ever. I'm having memories come up that I had forgotten from my childhood. And while they're not all happy, I'm able to process them. I think the biggest thing I've noticed is I've always had this sort of low-grade anxiety that rides with me, and sometimes it's much worse, and other times it's really subtle, and sometimes it's not there at all, but I didn't even notice that it was there until it went away, and it went away. That was one of the first things I noticed, aside from about seven pounds of bloat (laughs) that left my body Um, pretty quickly, within the first month, I would say was this anxiety that I didn't even know was there until it was gone. And I keep looking for it. And I look when I when I say that, I mean, I look for it in circumstances where normally it would show up. So like a good example is when I'm packing for a trip, normally, I would get this rush of anxiety as I was packing, like I was going to forget something or who knows all you know, you can you think of all the things that could go wrong. And you make you double double check in yourself and you're crossing your T's and you're dotting your I's and you're frantic. And that's just gone. Like, I don't have, I'm like, well, where's my anxiety? Normally, you know, I look at my watch, like normally it would be kicking in by now and it's just not there. And then I realized pretty quickly early on to this journey that I was using alcohol to ameliorate the anxiety that the alcohol was causing. I mean, isn't that something, right? I was using alcohol to take the edge off, quote unquote, if you will, that the edge was there because of the alcohol in the first place. And I'm not talking whilst drinking. I'm talking the next day. And any of you who get anxiety from alcohol will know this feeling if you quit. It's like somebody called it hangxiety, like it's a hangover anxiety. And that's so accurate. It's the next day. It's like I could crawl the walls with anxiety and this foreboding sense of doom takes over me. And I used to just think it was from beer and from the gluten in the beer, but it's actually all alcohol does it to me to some degree. It's, it's wild. So that's been awesome, super, super awesome, and has made this world a better place to be in for me. And it's it's been less challenging. Um, and while I'd never had a problem with booze, like I said, it's always sort of, sort of been a fairly consistent thing in my life. Even since teenage years, I grew up in a suburb where drinking heavily was the norm in high school. I, I, I don't know what it was, but my high school, maybe it was the time period. It was the you know mid to late 90s. No, no, no. Sorry. Late 80s, early 90s. I graduated in 1992 from high school. People were just big drinkers back then. I think it's because marijuana was so vilified. So I don't know. We drank heavily as teenagers, which I'm sure did some brain damage. And then, of course, getting through medical school was not easy. And the folks in chiropractic college were heavy drinkers. Maybe it's just because I was hanging out with the Canadians. But a lot of drinking, you know, and it's just becomes part of society. And then I noticed as I was dating in my 40s, that men in their 40s drink a lot. I mean, and they can put it away. They're highly functional drinkers. And so they're, they're not just having one or two or three drinks on a date. I mean, they can really put it down. And so that, I don't know what it was. I would like, I guess I was just drinking to play catch up. I was trying to keep up with them. And I didn't, I didn't really acknowledge this until my husband pointed it out. And he said, you know, you try to match me. You try to match me drink for drink and I have a good hundred pounds on you. 
And that really hit me. Like, what am I doing? I, it wasn't even a wanting to drink thing. It wasn't even a desire thing. It was just for some reason, he'd pour a drink, so I'd pour a drink. He'd pour a drink, I'd pour a drink, right? And he can put away a lot more. Not to say that's healthy for him. He's also quit since January. We both quit. Our marriage has, our relationship, I mean, we only got married in December, but our relationship has never, ever been stronger. And we have good conversations about the things we need to talk about when we need to talk about them instead of fighting about them, right? And we were never big fighters. We've always gotten along exceedingly well, but we can have some really good, healthy conversations now and they're calm. And I appreciate that. And I think that's because alcohol has been removed. Um, Okay. So when I quit drinking, I didn't, how did I do it? I just quit. (laughs) That was, I just quit. And again, I wasn't drinking a lot, so it wasn't that hard. I didn't go through any withdrawals. I will say this as a disclaimer. I am not your doctor. If you're drinking heavily, you might actually have some withdrawals and you might need to seek out medical help for this. So I, I just quit. I've quit lots of things in my life. I've quit toxic people. I've quit toxic relationships. I quit smoking in my 20s. I mean, I've quit a lot of things and I just quit. I'm really good at that. I'm good at walking away from things that don't serve me anymore. I have a very, very high level of discipline in that arena. And so for people who can't quit, um, I'm going to first say discipline. That's it. Like, and I train my discipline. That's why I work out. That's why I hold myself to a high standard professionally. That's why I hold myself to a high standard career wise. That's why I'm always really striving for more and trying to see what I, what my body and my mind and my spirit can do at its highest level. That is me holding myself accountable. That's discipline. And I learned discipline early. I'll tell you how I learned discipline. Weirdly enough, I learned discipline through having an eating disorder. I learned to control very carefully in my teenage years what went in my mouth or not. And I'm not saying that's healthy, but learning to control your appetite, number one, I would say is healthy. Learning to control your appetite and control that hangry urge. And I'll tell you, if you quit drinking, you won't be as hangry. You won't have these blood sugar swings like you may have now. So learning to control my hunger response was step one to learning discipline. And I I have heard from prophets and gurus and, um, you know, shaman and different spiritual people that fat, this is why fasting is important. And why learning intermittent fasting, I think is important, is because you learn to control your hunger response. And once you learn that, you have a level of discipline that you did not have before. If you're constantly shoveling food in your mouth at every whim, even if you're thin, um, you have a problem and you're going to screw up your blood sugar anyway. But from a spiritual standpoint, I think you're really shooting yourself in the foot because learning to go without something. And I've learned to be alone. I've spent lots of time alone. The first time I had a long stint alone was in college and I learned to be alone as I was going through a heavy depression and a lot of my friends were as well. And so I decided to distance myself from them. Um, I learned to be alone when I quit smoking because all my friends were smokers and my whole lifestyle was smoking and bar. Everybody smoked in bars here in Oregon and going to shows and clubs. And so that was another time I learned discipline, not just from the quitting the smoking, but from being alone. Um, I've gone through divorces. I've learned to be alone. I've learned to function alone. And so that is another layer of discipline that I think is really healthy to learn. I'm good alone and I'm not afraid, right? And so that translates into other parts of my life. And then strength training. Strength training is one big long act in discipline and consistency. It's probably the best long act in discipline and consistency I've ever, you know, undertaken along with dietary habits. Those are all forms of discipline. They're not restrictive. I'm not trying to punish myself. Um, I'm not doing it in a pathological way. It's discipline. And in this country, we have lost 
all forms of personal accountability. In fact, that's shamed. If you have personal accountability, you're you're suddenly the enemy. And we've also lost um, any respect for discipline. We've lost the the plot. We've this is severe lack of discipline, I, I believe. So then, I, so I quit in January. I was going to do dry January only. I thought, okay, dry January, that'll be great. And then I came across this Instagram page called A Thousand Hours Dry. And I thought, or the Thousand Hour Challenge or something like that. And I thought, awesome, I'll try that. I wonder what a thousand hours is at. So I reported in at a thousand hours. And that's when I was like, hey, I lost seven pounds. And people were like, you lost seven pounds in a week? You must have been drinking a lot. And I'm like, hmm, are there a thousand hours in a week? Or do you not know how to do math? Because <laughs> that's not correct. But okay. Um, people are so funny. They don't read and then they accuse and point fingers. It's, it's very odd to me. But I also have discipline. So I read. And I read the details, right, before I open my mouth. So 1,000 hours dry, really helpful. And then I thought, you know, I don't see metabolic changes happening on labs for patients until 90 days. I am going to quit drinking for 90 days and see what happens. I just wanted to see what would happen to my body composition, to my mind, to my energy levels, to my relationships, to my motivation, to... Um, to see if I could really, t- this is, I guess, really at the root of it, I just wanted to tap in with my higher self. And I was unable to access my higher self clearly. I get these hits from the universe all the time, but I couldn't clearly navigate my intuition and my higher self. And so I thought quitting alcohol might help with that because, you know, alcohol lets the spirits in. That's why it's called spirits. Like it really lets the dark entities latch onto you. And there's a lot of energetic vampires. And when you have a platform like I do, and you're putting yourself out there every day, um, a lot of people, a lot of energetic, a lot of you know, demon energy, I don't know how else to say it, a lot of dark demon energy latches on. And so getting rid of that was really my goal. So I thought, okay, I'll do 90 days. And then once I was about 60 days in, I was like, well, screw it, I'm not going back. This is much better. Same thing with uh, gluten. When you quit gluten, you really got to give yourself 90 days right? Anything that you are trying to do, you've got to give it 90 days to see how you feel. So 90 days was my mark. I'm past that now as of the end of March, and I'm feeling awesome. Um, What does alcohol do to us? We know this to be true. It poisons the thyroid in the brain, as I mentioned. It poisons your mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of your cell. Without your mitochondria, you're dead. So we need those engines revving. Um, It's a known carcinogen, straight up. Like It was a speculative carcinogen. I have watched people I love dearly die of throat cancer, not just one person, but a couple. All of them had one thing in common. They were all pretty decent drinkers. Even though they were healthy, some of them were healthy and fit, they were still decent drinkers. And maybe it was just, you know, clear grain alcohol. And so it felt justified, or maybe it was just, you know, good quality wine. Um, But it, they all had either mouth or esophageal cancer take them. And, and abruptly so. And that has had got the wheels turning. And then this research was coming out on breast cancer and alcohol a couple years ago. And um, my friend, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, he mentioned it to me. And I was like, oh, man, I mean, I'm walking right into the age of breast cancer, right? And so it had been percolating in my head. And then as of 2022, conclusive studies came out that it's not just speculative. It's not just... Um, correlation, it's causation. Alcohol directly causes cancers, and there's several types with a known link. But alcohol is a carcinogen, straight up, meaning it is a cancer-causing agent. So 
dose doesn't matter here, right? And I'm again, I'm not judging you, you can drink whatever you want, but know that you're drinking a cancer causing agent. It's like knowing it's like being a smoker and knowing you're causing yourself lung cancer, you're directly causing cancer promotion. And so just know that right, like have that informed consent. And there you go. Middle aged women and alcohol, that seems to be a big thing, right? Just like middle-aged men. It just seems like middle age is this area where like you're an adult, your career's going well, hopefully life is, you know, going well, your kids are growing or they're grown and it's like, oh, let's drink, right? Because we can, because we're grown-ups now and um, everything's kind of on autopilot in middle age. If you've really, if you've done a good job of, I shouldn't say good job, but if life has been good to you and you have worked, and I, I mean, I should say a good job. I worked my ass off to get to the place where I could coast a little bit, right? So we work hard to get here. And I gave up a lot of fun stuff when I was younger so that I could get here now and have the opportunity to enjoy my life without, you know, I don't have hours. I don't have a, a boss. I don't have anyone telling me what to do, right? And so I worked, I earned that through a lot of discipline and hard work. And so then it's like, oh, well, I can drink. And then I think with COVID, with lockdowns, it just became easier to justify like people drinking at noon <laughs> instead of waiting till the workday was over or whatever. You know, drinking really ramped up during the pandemic. We know this. I think in that middle age group, I gave you those statistics. They were shocking as far as the deaths and the increase in deaths, 40% increase in alcohol-related deaths in the middle age age group. So you know, it's a thing. And then there's just like this mommy wine culture, which has taken off. So lots of young women drinking wine. And it's been really, I don't know, glamorized, if you will, They're like, oh, let's drink wine. And isn't it funny? And oh, I life is, you know, you know, there's like jokes on the Instagram of like, oh, you know, beautiful 25, 35 year old women drinking wine. They're at wineries, but also like in their kitchen making a joke, you know, with a baby in one hand and a bottle of wine in the other and like, oh, my husband pisses me off and I'm going to drink wine. And I don't know, it's just become like this mommy wine culture. And it's not healthy, you guys. It's, it's, and again, I'll leave that up for you to decide, but it's just, it's kind of, it's different than in previous generations. I guess all mommies had their crutches, right? There was the martinis and value mommies in the seventies. <laughs> so I get it. Motherhood is never easy, but um, just something to think about. And then I realized that the most stupid shit I've ever done in my life always involved alcohol. Whenever I did stupid shit or made bad decisions or let my mouth fly, you know, like didn't hold my tongue or said shit that got me in trouble or ruined relationships with people or popped off, usually there was alcohol involved. It may have just been one drink, but, or maybe I was hungover from the night before. Again, hangovers didn't require a lot of alcohol to get there. And I just would say stupid shit. So I don't know. And then there was this sort of foreboding sense of depression that alcohol brings with it because it is a depressant. And that's not just acutely, meaning you drink alcohol and your brain gets depressed. And that doesn't mean mental, emotional depression. It means it literally tones down all activity in the brain. So it acts as a physiologic depressant, but it carries over too. So if you're drinking consistently, you're sort of always in this numbed out low brain state. And that's not great. It's just not a happy place to be, right? And it doesn't allow for the joy to penetrate as well as it could. I also thought that if you, you know, I have been friends with alcoholics and they would say, well, have you ever blacked out and woken up somewhere else or not remembered? And I said, nope. And they were like, well, then you're not an alcoholic. And so I think that that culturally is sort of a thing where if it's not a 
big problem, then it's not a problem at all. And I think that's incorrect. I think with anything, there's shades of gray and there's variations. And so for me, even just a little bit was becoming problematic. And I decided that it was time to cut it out. And so these are all things that we know through the data and through just, you know, own personal experiences that alcohol is not great. Let me tell you how what how alcohol works in your body as a biochemistry lesson. So the chemical name for alcohol is ethanol. Uh, we write it out as ETOH for short. Enzymes help break apart the ETOH molecule in the body into metabolites so that the body can handle them better. Metabolites along the way are called intermediates and they are straight up poison to the body. So anytime your liver is breaking down something via enzymatic reactions, those intermediates are often more poisonous than the original substance. And so you've got these metabolites floating around. The main enzyme responsible for um, ethyl alcohol breakdown is ADH or for short, it's alcohol dehydrogenase. This is the enzyme that a lot of uh, folks in the Asian community are missing. This is why they turn bright red because they don't actually have a lot of alcohol dehydrogenase genetically. And so they cannot break down alcohol the way that a Caucasian person can. The first step in this process turns the ethyl alcohol into um, acetaldehyde and I'm sorry, acetaldehyde. Yes. Which is a poison and a known carcinogen. So that's like straight up that intermediate is a poison and a known carcinogen right there. So the process of breaking down alcohol by alcohol dehydrogenase creates enzymatic, or I'm sorry, creates intermediates that are known carcinogens. In a healthy and unburdened body, which means it's not got a toxic load from everything else, this is a short-lived intermediate and it's quickly broken down in uh, further into acetate and another and by another enzyme. So We've got alcohol into acetaldehyde into acetate. Acetate is then broken down into carbon dioxide and water. So that's the process. This intermediate can cause significant damage, particularly in the liver. Uh, this, we're seeing a lot of fatty liver out there. That might be part of it. It's not good news. Other organs like the pancreas, brain, and the gut metabolize this intermediate, and it can wreak havoc there as well. Gut health is definitely tied to this. So leaky gut is an issue, depression, anxiety, you know, your brain is literally being poisoned by this intermediate. And so if you don't have enough of this enzyme, this um, ALDH, which turns it into acetate, and then further down into carbon dioxide and water, you're stuck with this intermediate. And there are other processes in your body that use these enzymes. And so a lot of people are, and enzymes are contingent on your nutritional health too. Their amount and their veracity, right, requires nutrients. And so you've got your average American with leaky gut who is malnourished because they're not eating a good healthy diet. So they can't even make enough of the enzyme to break down the alcohol that they're consuming. And so they're stuck with these intermediates. And these intermediates are really bad news. So I can't ever tell you how you're going to respond because I don't know what your enzymatic bundle is. I don't know. I don't know how your I don't know how your biochem's working. When a person has consumed a large amount of alcohol, another enzyme called CYP2E1 gets involved. This is when things get really bad. Um, when alcohol is metabolized by CYP2E1, this is a liver enzyme, reactive oxygen species are formed. 
And reactive or ROSs, reactive oxygen species, are bad news. They're highly reactive, oxygen-containing molecules. They damage proteins and DNA, and they interact with other substances to create carcinogenic compounds or cancer-causing compounds. So when people say, oh, well, I don't binge drink, and therefore I'm probably okay, right? I say wrong, because depending on your genetics, your overall health, your ethnicity, your diet, and your overall nutrient status, you could be metabolizing even minimal amounts of alcohol in all sorts of bad ways. Certain vitamins and minerals, like I said, are necessary cofactors for these enzymes, and your hormonal status is impactful of this enzymatic activity. So you are an individual chemical soup. And I don't know how your chemical soup is going to break down alcohol. And therefore, we could have a problem. These reactive oxygen species are a major cause of damage to cartilage. And my background is in joints. That's what my professionally what I did for over a decade is I took care of people's joints. And so keeping cartilage healthy is critical. Not only do you need specific nutrients to keep your cartilage healthy. You need to be intaking cartilage via your mouth. So animal substances, I believe, are strongly encouraged. Collagen, you got to eat collagen to make collagen. But if you're creating a lot of reactive oxygen species through alcohol intake and through other processes, it's essentially like dropping hydrogen peroxide bombs into your cartilage, into your joint, and it kills the chondrocytes or the cells that make your cartilage. This is not good. It literally makes your cartilage fall apart and melt. I mean, think about <laughs> think about what hydrogen peroxide is how cells blow themselves up and blow up other cells is these little hydrogen peroxide packets. And so high levels of reactive oxygen species are bad news. Um, ethyl alcohol depletes magnesium. It depletes a lot of nutrients in the process. And this is a critical mineral that no one talks about that is highly related to joint and bone health. It depletes you of a lot of things that are highly um, critical for joint health. Deficiency of magnesium can lead to osteoarthritis and osteoporosis. We know this. I actually think osteoporosis is more of a magnesium deficiency than it is a calcium deficiency issue. And higher rates of knee osteoarthritis and joint space narrowing have been shown along with depleted magnesium levels. So when people say I'm bone on bone, I'm thinking like, what are you deficient in that you're, and what are you doing to destroy your cartilage? I think of sugar as being really damaging to cartilage as well. Alcohol is highly correlated with gout, which are those little painful crystals in your joints. And gout is also correlated with obesity and metabolic syndrome. So you see, we go back to, we go back to, and cycle back to that uh, metabolic syndrome and metabolic health that I'm always preaching on about. But I always rule out alcohol abuse first when somebody comes in with gout. That's number one. I don't think of gout and say, let's decrease their protein, which is what most MDs do. I think, what are you putting in your body to induce the gout, right? It makes you cellularly dehydrated. So your joint cartilage is a proteoglycan layer in the extracellular matrix. It's basically um, a slick gel, if you will. And it has bounce and it has shock absorption and it has this slick slide ability so that your joints can move freely and be lubed up. When you're chronically dehydrated from any reason, i.e. lack of drinking water, but also dehydrating yourself chemically with alcohol, 
you are losing the shock absorption and the slick slide ability. And so it just, the cartilage just starts to break apart as it dries out like a dried up old sponge. And the surface layer of dehydrated cartilage tends to be more easily damaged than hydrated cartilage. And damaged cartilage has a harder time staying rehydrated. So you see this is a vicious cycle. So if you have joint issues or joint pain whatsoever, my first bit of advice is to cut alcohol out and see what happens. Alcohol also significantly increases the risk of osteoporosis, like I mentioned, for various reasons, including magnesium depletion, and then your bones and joints are best friends. So whatever's happening to one is happening to the other. If you have osteoarthritis, you probably have osteoporosis. And if you have osteoporosis, you've got osteoarthritis coming. And alcohol is also extremely inflammatory. And the whole point of the past two years of all my content has been to decrease our inflammation so that we are less likely to get hit with COVID and have it, have a hard time with COVID and or any virus for that matter. So we really want to decrease inflammation. We do not want inflamed joints. We do not want inflamed cells. We do not want inflamed fat. And alcohol is very, very pro-inflammatory. So that's it as far as your biochem lesson. I don't want to complicate it more than that. What I do want to share is, again, my personal benefits. Uh, I have way more energy. I have way more clarity of mind. My visceral fat, which is the fat that is a, an inflammation driver that lives under the muscle in the belly. It surrounds the organs. My visceral fat is down. I can tell. I have not had it scanned with a DEXA scan, but I can tell because it's just the way everything's fitting. I can actually see my subcutaneous layer better now. And my waist circumference is going down. So my visceral fat is going down, but my subcutaneous fat hasn't budged a whole lot. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I'm pretty lean already and I'm fine with that. I could lose a little bit if I wanted to look better in a bikini, but I don't really care. You know, I just want to be happy and have good health. And your subcutaneous fat on your belly as a woman, especially as we age, that's kind of like our little estrogen and progesterone depot. And so I don't want to totally lose it and get a six pack because I like having some hormones there. Um, I've had weight loss, like I said, but not, not significant. I think most of it was bloat from inflammation in the beginning. My sleep has improved deep, just significantly. And my deep sleep has improved a lot. My anxiety is way, way down. As I mentioned, my skin is clear. My pores are closing and getting smaller, which I think is great. Um, I was having the onset of a little bit of rosacea, I think. I'm not quite sure, but I was getting some symptoms in my cheeks of like kind of a prickly heat rash and then maybe some tiny broken capillaries and that's resolving. And so I think, I don't know if it was rosacea, I'm, I'm self-diagnosing here, but my skin is clearer. My strength and coordination have improved because alcohol poisons your brain and it poisons the center of your brain that is responsible for balance. So we don't want that. That's why you see people stumbling drunk. And when they get really drunk, they're poisoning their cerebellum and their cerebellum is responsible for the ability to be upright and balanced. <laughs> so low grade poison drip can do the same. And my strength and coordination with my workouts is really, I've noticed that to be significant. Um, productivity is through the roof. Being an entrepreneur, I need to be inspired daily. I need to have get up and go daily. And I was lacking that and it's back. I can hear my intuition and higher calling again. I'm getting hits from the universe and they're clear. So it helps me with direction and what I need to be doing next to really uplevel my life and to be the best version of myself that I can for myself and my family and the world. 
I've been taking massive action, action since quitting and it's just getting better and better by the day. PMS and breast tenderness is virtually gone. I got to throw a plug to Dr. Carrie Jones. If you guys don't follow her on Instagram, please do. She's awesome. She's like the hormone guru. And I would mess, we message all the time back and forth. And I would message her and say, my breast pain is out of control. Like what is happening? I'm old. I'm an older woman. Is this perimenopause? Like what is going on? You know, my cycles have always been really regular, but what is going on? And she's like, Tina, it's the wine. Just stop drinking the wine. And lo and behold, breast tenderness, uh, fibrocystic breasts, all of that is gone. And so I think alcohol was contributing. Again, this isn't a fix-all for everything. I've got all the other aspects of my life dialed in pretty darn well. I'm not perfect, but I work really hard to keep them all uh, on the steady. And so it's not just one thing. Fibrocystic breasts can be from a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of, there's people keep messaging me saying, well, I don't drink at all. And I have all these symptoms or I quit drinking alcohol and I didn't get the benefits you're reporting. Again, you got to get all the things in order, right? You guys can download my free book. It's at drtina.com, D-R-T-Y-N-A.com. My book is an amazing starting point. It's just the six pillars of health that must be addressed for anything to work. And so getting those handled is, is critical. Uh, back to the results, though. Seasonal depression, normally every winter from about January to March, I cannot handle it in Oregon. It's gray. It's not fun. And I tend to get really, really bleak. And it just was not there this year which is awesome. I think a lot of it was because we get trapped inside. Oregon's, Oregonians drink a lot. Oregon's, Oregonians drink a lot. We, it's a big drinking culture here and we're locked inside for so many months of the year to, with this incessant drizzle. I think the same is true. You know, my bloodline is from the Midwest and same is true there. It's like anywhere you get locked up for several months on end, the only thing to do that's social a lot of times is go to the bar or drink with friends, right? It's just drinking is very socially accepted. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not dogging it. I'm just sharing with you my benefits and then, you know, how alcohol might be impacting you negatively. My joint pain is way down. I've just explained all that via the joints, how it works. Um, I'm popping out of bed right now, which I've, I I can't, don't remember doing that ever, but at least not since I was young, really young, like teenage years. So I'm popping out of bed, which is great. I pop out of bed with a lot of ambition and clear-mindedness, which is awesome. And then, like I said, um, I'm really feeling in alignment with my greater good, my greatest good. And I'm feeling, I'm, I'm able to get into that flow state more readily, which as an entrepreneur, as a human being, as somebody something I take very seriously as I age is, am I up-leveling, right? And I talked about that a little earlier, but am I up-leveling and am I being, am I working towards my highest calling to, to humanity? And it's just happening much better without alcohol dulling my mind and letting the darkness in so readily. And it's just getting better and better every day. I'm healing and I acknowledge that healing takes time. And so this is a slow and steady process and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. My mitochondria are recovering. My gut is healing. I'm absorbing my nutrients. My brain is healing. I'm feeling better. My thyroid is healing. My hormones are healing and I'm loving it. And again, talk to your doctor if you feel like quitting would be dangerous for you, of course, if you're a heavy drinker or you're needing support, then I am a huge fan of obviously seeking out medical care or some kind of health care to get you going in the right direction. It might be counseling, it might be acupuncture, it might be hypnosis, it might be all of the above. But 
I really want to take this moment to applaud you for considering it and encouraging you to seek it out. 12-step program, I've seen great success with that. Whatever really jives with you, you know, if something doesn't jive with you, try something else. Eventually, you'll find something that clicks. It might be going to church. It might be praying. Hard to say, but um, don't discount something until you try it. I will say I did not have any major cravings. And so here's where I want to help you. Like, how can we how can we, how can I help support you in this process? Um, I'm not giving you medical advice and I'm not telling you what to take for a condition or anything about prevention, treatment, or cure, but this is just kind of how I approach it. The first thing I think of when quitting alcohol is you've got a body that's been slow dripped poisoned, right? And so we need to revigorate it. <laughs> we need to support first and foremost, I believe the adrenal system, the hype, you know, the pituitary adrenal, the hypopituitary adrenal axis. And Hypothalamic, I can't talk, hypothalamic pituitary axis. There we go, Tina. I think it's important that this system be supported no matter what, but especially during times of high stress. And quitting alcohol is, it's tough, right? Like you're you're going to have to deal with some emotions you weren't dealing with before, and you're going to have to sit comfortably being uncomfortable. And so I think supporting that HPA axis is huge. Um, I have a product called Resilience. It's an adrenal support product. It does have some adrenal glandular in there. I think that's a wonderful product. Anytime, I, I, I named it resilience because that is exactly what it gives you. It gives you some resilience in a pill. And so this isn't about treating the adrenals. This is about tonifying and supporting that system. And I love resilience. I love, it gives me some get up and go. It gives me some clarity. It helps me keep those tolerance bands from being so short and snapping. Um, it helps relieve some of that tired and wired feeling. The second product, and so I double down. Whenever I am undertaking something challenging, like quitting drinking, I always double down on my adrenal support. So resilience. The next product that I have been using a lot of is my Relax Tonic. Many of you are using it. It's my number one selling product. It's awesome. It is a combination. It's a powder. It mixes into water readily, very easily, actually. It is a combination of magnesium, highly absorbable magnesium, L-theanine, which is very calming and soothing to the nervous system, um, taurine, which gives you a little kick, a little get up and go for some motivation uh, without causing agitation. It gives you uh, myonositol, which is wonderful for women's hormones and also your immune system in general, and GABA, which is your inhibitory neurotransmitter, which just chills your brain out. It's called Relax Tonic for a reason. It is a tonic for relaxation. You can drink as much of it as you want. The side effect is you'll get the runs if you drink too much because of the magnesium. And so I drink that. I started really, I mean, I do it every night, but I really started with like two, three times a day when I quit drinking. And that's helped tremendously. I love mixing it into bubbly water at night in a wine glass. And then I feel like I'm having a fancy drink. So that's helped a lot. Also drinking hot tea with some raw honey has helped me a lot as well. I need something to drink. <laughs> so I think I was severely dehydrated. <laughs> and I think I was using alcohol as a beverage. And yet, probably consuming more than I wanted to because I was thirsty. And so getting that hydration up, but I, you know, plain old water isn't always that fun. So Relax Tonic is awesome. I love hot tea. I'm a huge fan of hibiscus tea. I use Peak Teas. I will share the link in the uh, show notes for my affiliate link for Peak Tea. They have a great hibiscus that just dissolves in water. So that with the Relax Tonic is also delicious, um, but it's also good hot with some raw honey. And then the third product is my brand new product called Beauty in a Bottle. And this is, I, I, I helped uh, get this product going because 
I want to, I think of it as like the post alcohol rejuvenation and also the post COVID rejuvenation. Cause I know a lot of people are having hair loss. I'm hearing about it all the time about hair loss issues. So this is a hair, skin and nails at its most basic form, but it's a special proprietary form of some of the ingredients, choline for the brain, and then biotin. These, uh, in, in the formulation, it's specific for joint health and skin health and hair health. So think of it as a rejuvenation product, really, in its entirety. So I want to make this available to you guys today for taking your time to listen to this episode. I appreciate your time always. You can get 15% off if you buy the bundle of Relax Tonic, Beauty in a Bottle, and Resilience. Use the code RECOVER15. That's the code that'll get you 15% off when you buy these three products as a bundle. I highly, highly suggest it even before you embark. Uh, the results have been great for me and that's really helped me recover from all of what the alcohol was doing to my body as that slow drip poison. So I will leave you with that. I wish you guys the best of luck on your journey. I hope this was helpful information and we will talk to you soon. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps me to hear from you that you guys are either liking it or not. And also it helps me, it helps get the word out to the rest of the world because a lot of information, as you know, is being censored and squashed. And so your reviews and your rate, when you rate it, especially if you give it a good rating, if you find that to be a truthful rating, it really helps get the word out to others and and helps others be more inclined to listen to it. And as always, please email us at podcast at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, if you have questions or ideas for future upcoming episodes of the podcast. We will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.